Frank, 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 Frank Krueger. Today, we talk about the one thing that is infinite that we have never talked about in 225,000 episodes of Merge Conflict. It's the one thing that can be generated infinitely over and over again. It is one of the most important things in programming that we don't talk about, and yet we use and abuse this beautiful data structure. Frank, do you know what I'm talking about? I was going to go with fractals. I was so excited for a fractal episode, but then you said we use them, and I never actually use fractals. So my next guess is I enumerable? (laughs) No. Today, Frank, we are talking about the GWID. Oh, gosh. Okay. I know where this is coming from. I saw your tweet earlier today. Today? I don't know. Time doesn't exist. Why am I even using that metric? Uh, You were complaining that you needed yourself some random numbers with some random hyphens placed between them. (laughs) And perhaps like, I don't even remember how many are there, like 30 of them, 32 of them. Either way, uh, you needed a GUID and you were complaining that like you can't get a GUID. Like it's been baked into Visual Studio forever, GUID generation. What's up, man? Yes, I wanted and I need at my disposal, Frank Kruger, 128 bits of pure randomness, deliciousness. Frank, do you know what is inside of a GUID? Do you know? Do you know? Actually, I, I know a lot about GUIDs. And in fact, it's not purely random. Some parts of it aren't random at all. Uh, but it really just goes by your definition of them. But I don't want to steal your thunder. So please continue. Pretend I know nothing about the GUID. It's very correct. And I'm glad that you are correct because they are not random. And in fact, Act. Uh, they are globally unique, but they are not. If you basically take a substring of them, they are not. And also, yes, you are correct. The parts of them are not um, random either. It's very interesting. Now, I needed this, Frank. Um, I, what I wanted, here's what I really want, is I tweeted to the people and I said, I want, I want a GUID, I want a GUID on demand service. I need at any <laughs> any time, Frank. No matter where I'm at, I don't care where I'm at right now. Am I on the desktop? Am I in a browser? Am I um, inside of Teams? Am I inside of Zencaster? I want a GUID. I say, give me a GUID, and I get a GUID, and I can paste a GUID. Frank, I literally just went over here, got a GUID, and I just posted you a GUID. That's what I want to do. I want GUIDs on demand as a service. GUIDs as a service. Gas. I want gas. Okay, how could I possibly respond to that? Let's give you gas, James. Let's get you some gas. <laughs> this really sounds like a Scott Hanselman bit. Wasn't he all about the GUIDs at one point where he was like, here's a GUID? Someone, someone else was about the GUIDs before you. I'm just saying you're not, you're not being hipster enough for me. But let me also say, before I get started, I have like a little bit of PTSD with GUIDs. So <laughs> moving on. <laughs> what did you say? Okay, so, so the reason I needed this is uh, I mean, I love GUIDs. I think they're fantastical. But I, I'm managing a bunch of new live stream initiatives that we're doing uh, with my team, with Galloway and Fritz and, and Jamie. We're, we're all doing these uh, more streaming on Visual Studio and .NET properties on Twitch and YouTube. And most of the shows are managed via YouTube playlists and magical bits. But we're also having sort of a kind of like a keep it simple JSON file for some specific shows. And I need a unique identifier. And I said, well, what's better than a GUID as a unique identifier? So how I update these shows, and you may have done this before when you're doing like messing around with mock data or, you know, in code is you often 
like start to have some JSON or some code and you have an ID and then you say, give me a GUID. And if I was inside of Visual Studio or VS Code or some other editor, yes, Frank, it could have went to tools and said, give me a GUID. But I was inside Uh of a GitHub editing file. Like, you know, you're in in GitHub, you're like edit file and I'm adding an entry and I want to be like, give me the GUID, give me the GUID. And I didn't have that. So I asked the internet and everyone said, just use Visual Studio like you did because you were being Sorry. cocky. You're being cocky. Sorry. And I don't like it, Frank. I'm 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 stubborn <laughs> today. I don't like it. Anyways, you're so so you want OS level integration here. Um I I you don't see these too often. On Windows, I guess maybe like you can integrate into the shell, but that's not even where you want it. You want to be integrated into all text boxes. So you gotta mm-hmm. integrate into the IM IME system. On Mac, I'm not even sure if you can integrate into all the boxes fortunately i think it's a little bit easier to do things like um gosh what's the i'm trying to think there's a snippet thing that a lot of mac users use where you know you just if you're always typing in your email address you know you can type email hit tab and have tab completion so i've seen apps like that which try to do os level stuff so i'm curious um a, what did the internet recommend? Were there any OS level things, or B, were was it all still like if you're in a um, like Chrome or Safari, uh, could you get it to work? Yeah, so a lot of people, a lot of people sent extensions. There are a lot of different extensions out for Edge and Chrome and things like that. Uh, they do different things. There's one that's really fascinating, and I'll, and I'll make links to everything in the show notes as well. But there's one that's really fascinating. You can do like control shift five or something. And it'll, (laughs) it'll, it'll look for that key combo and then put it in your clipboard, which is kind of nice. But then I said, I don't know if I want someone watching my keyboard. That seems creepy. I don't like that. (laughs) Well, okay. So the good news is, uh, Kelka actually has a mode on Mac where you can register global key bindings. So anytime someone hits this global key binding, my app gets activated, I get to execute some code. So it's not like I'm monitoring your keyboard. It's just, you know, it's a thing. The part that I don't know on the Mac side is whether I could um, check what the active window is, find the active editor, and, you know, do an insert text kind of command to it. Not sure. Never tried that kind of stuff. That's why I'm curious. Yeah. And then, you know, and I thought that was like a pretty cool idea of of having keyboard shortcuts and whatnot, but I think the browser would have to be open or you'd have to allow Chrome extensions to run in the background. I'm like, I don't want that shenanigans. Oh, that Uh, was still a browser extension. Oh, weird. Yeah. Still a browser extension, which just didn't, didn't sit well with me, you know, but the other ones that I'm using right now, I'm using one that is called, I think it's called copy a grid. Yeah. It's called copy a grid. And it's just a button that you click and it just puts it in your clipboard. So it's, it's in the browser still. So it's always there. Now I did get the traditional, uh, open visual studio, open VS code. I also got a lot of scripts. A lot of people gave me PowerShell scripts and Python Mm -hmm. scripts. And they said, just run this script and you'll get a GUID. I'm like, I don't (laughs) want to run a script. I want to right click insert GUID. And I, I don't have it. I literally don't have it. The, the number one recommendation was let's add this feature to power tools for windows, which is a sort of global toolbox of awesomeness, um, that, that, that kind of runs on your computer. Like they have stuff that like resizes images and stuff and, 
I'm assuming there's probably similar tools on Mac that would do that, but it's yeah. sort of like always running app. Not to sidetrack, but I love power tools. When I was a Windows user, I, I would always download that kind of immediately. Back in the day, it's the one that would give you all the weird options that were in the OS, but was, were not exposed in other UI layers. So that's kind of what we used it for in the past. Nowadays, it's just, yeah, a bunch of crazy nice tools. Um, yeah, it's funny. It's uh, So you're saying today, right now, James Montemagno, on Windows... This is on Windows. Uh, you can't get an OS level version of this. I I don't think so. Uh, I mean, there's a few people that there's a few people that like m- sent me some random. Most people said use code, use PowerShell. You know, I'm I'm looking. I'm going through it. There's script kitties. I'm calling them script kitties. <laughs> yeah. Andrew Nozanek says, here's a tool that I wrote called dev comrade. And, um, it does a bunch of other stuff, but then also has like, right click, give me a GUID. So that's, that's one thing I'll post that in the show notes. Why not? Neat. <laughs> uh, I don't think I see very much and I apologize. Cause you know, the Twitter, Twitter threading is really weird now. So yeah, this might be the closest, but I'm not convinced, you know what I mean, that 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 there's weight on demand that I want. I have seen the most virusy apps take over the default menus in Windows. You know, maybe today security's gotten better on Windows, but I've seen apps insert themselves all over the place. In the very worst case, you could have an app sit there, insert itself into the WinProc of every running process, of every mm-hmm. running thread and every running process, and do it yourself. Um, but I also think that the um, input system in Windows is very configurable. It's a good input system. And I feel like uh, someone who actually understands Windows could write this kind of in their sleep because they would just know the right API to expose to get a proper language insertion menu here. Because that's basically what you're talking about here. You have this foreign language called GUIDs and you want to integrate them into your operating system. That is accurate. And ideally, you would probably have them a little bit. Because what I used to do, by the way, is if you just Google right now, like GUID generator, I'm just going to do it. Like the free... Random.org. I love it. I I use those kinds of things all the time. Oh, man. I just use random.org. You can put a... uh, What I didn't know is you can just put a list of things and then say randomize it and it'll randomize it for you. You do this for my team meetings because, you know, team meetings... Uh, if you have a large team and let's say you're doing a standup every day, it's really unfair to make the person that's name starts with an A always go first every single time. So I do fun things. I do like the city where you're, where you live or, <laughs> you know, um, how long you've been with the company or what, whatever, just kind of organize it every week. And then one week I was lazy and I was like, man, there's gotta be a way to like random a list. And then I type that into to Google and it's like random.org. And I'm like, of course it was. <laughs> But of course, but you know, you're right. You know, um, GUIDs do crazy things. And additionally, you said in the beginning, there's a bunch of different ways of formatting GUIDs. I think that I was on Twitter and, um, Jonathan Pepper said, I think you can control shift P in VS code and search for GUID. He said, I think VS proper has one too, but it's a weird com format. So that was the first comment, which I was always like, (laughs) oh man, there's different formats and different things. I mean, I just want a GUID, right? That's what yeah. I want. Yeah, uppercase, lowercase, with dashes, without dashes, with curly braces, without curly braces, 
quoted, unquoted, these are all options the Visual Studio will actually give you. Um, it's kind of funny, though. Um, they have a dialog box plus the insert command. And I'm not sure if the insert command does the formatting from the box, you know? You know, I, I always do this game in code, actually, when I'm programming. Um, I create a GUID, and I want to print it out. And I always have to decide which format I'm going to use. And I almost always use N, which I have no idea what it stands for, but it means just show me the numbers and letters, not even any dashes. I just want it plain old numbers. But at the same time, every time I have to go to docs.microsoft.com, go look up what all the different format codes are for GUIDs, and then yeah, print them out that way. Are you a lowercase person or uppercase person? Ah, uh, lowercase person. Yeah, I think it's just more stylish. I think. Yeah, I, I like but it. But you know, I I I first came into contact with GUIDs with COM programming. Any old programmers out there with me know about COM programming on Windows, where every class, every interface had, and all the factory methods, you know, all these things needed to be identified by GUIDs. It was kind of neat because you could technically change the names of things and it wouldn't break anything. But at the same time, you were just putting GUIDs all over your code and it was just so ugly. <laughs> yeah, they're not, they're not uh, elegant form, but they are of importance. And, and what's, what's fascinating, I think about GUID usage over the years is that they're just like a standard in every language too. Like everyone knows, I don't know if everybody knows what a GUID is, but we'll talk about in the second half of this podcast. But <laughs> I feel as though people, developers, no matter if you're C sharp, Java, JavaScript, whatever, like GUID is like a GUID, like people know the GUID. And I think that, you know, fascinating about the GUID is that when I tweeted this out, someone said, Oh my goodness, you you want to you want a GUID waster, right? Like, like why are you wasting all these precious GUIDs? You're, we're going to run out of GUIDs. <laughs> uh and uh that sent me down this beautiful beautiful blog post by um uh Raymond uh Chen uh who Ooh, classic yeah. classic blog post, classic blogger, classic blog post. Awesome. Indeed. Yeah, and I really want to talk about this because this really dives into why I care about GUIDs, what they're good for, what they're not good for. And additionally, just to really um, put the nail on the coffin here, Elon uh, Lipton, our good friend Elon Lipton, uh, Blazor, Blazor uh, Mobile Components, uh, and just awesome person in general, wrote a mm -hmm. cool article about the all of the GUIDs being used. So I want to talk to you about that <laughs> and about their, their randomness. But let's first thank our amazing sponsor this week, Raygun. Yes, that is right. Our good friends over at Raygun have helped thousands of customer-centric software teams detect, diagnose, and resolve performance issues faster and more efficiently. Who doesn't want to do that? And now listen, for a limited time, if you switch your applications, web, mobile, whatever you're building, to Raygun, they will give you up to $20,000 in free usage credit. Probably some terms and conditions apply, but it's never been a better time to make the switch. You can save thousands and empower your teams with the visibility and insights that they need to deliver a flawless customer experience. Where do you go to learn more? I'm so glad that everyone that is listening asked or like, oh my goodness, I want that right now. Raygun.com slash switch. It's not for a Nintendo switch. It's for you to apply for up to a $20,000 free credit for Raygun. That's raygun.com 
slash switch. We'll put it in the show notes below. Check it out. Love Raygun. Thanks to Raygun for sponsoring this week's pod. Thanks, Raygun. And I love how you said probably conditions apply because like 20 grand, you know. Probably. There's it's, something. Not, it's not a dollar. <laughs> yeah, there's something in there, I'm sure. Yeah, it's, That's there. funny. <laughs> yeah, it's in the bottom. Here it is. Terms and eligibility, limit time offer, promotion, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's in there. You're good to go. Can you do that fast reading thing? I can't do that fast reading thing. Limited time offer promotion only applies to customers, meaning the final eligibility applies to the new customers, which are in the Reagan monitoring tools. New plan supposed to be annually built. That's about as fast as I can go. That was pretty good. I like yeah, it. Thanks. That was very good. <laughs> Other terms of addition apply. Please refer to Reagan terms and change the title. All right, cool. Thanks, uh, Reagan. Thanks, Reagan. So, yeah. Goodwoods, Goodwoods, let's, um, let's talk about them because I said that they're not 100% random, but I'm going to say every language has them because at some point, level or another we all just need a string of random numbers to identify something at some point we don't want to use its name we don't want to use its hash which is you know something cool like git git uses hashes instead of um uuids but if you change the data that changes the hash so uh guids are great for entity systems where you have mutation where the object is changing over time but no matter what you change about the object it has uniqueness it has identity so that's what we have these for. So you need some random thing. So it makes absolutely sense that all programming languages have, have some concept of this and databases. Uh, the question is always, how do they generate them, James? So this is a great article. <laughs> it is a very good article. In fact, there are four parts specifically to a GUID. <laughs> um, and this, this will be the short term. I mean, I never knew this before I, but by the way, 30, how old am I? 30. Um, four don't ask me i don't know yeah young 86. man 86 yeah 34 34 years of my human existence i never knew what was in a guid i just i had no idea like why would you care i guess like what's an http header nobody cares except for frank Krueger. you know i'm a weirdo one day someone said to me you need to generate a guid and at first, I'm just like, I'm going to generate 128 bits worth of random data and turn them into hexadecimal. No big deal. And then I don't know what I read. It could have been this article. This article was posted in 2008. So it's quite possible I read this. But I almost feel like I read Wikipedia first. And that explained, or maybe like even the C3 wiki, like the old computer science wiki. And that explained uh the GUID algorithm. But now, sorry, I, I'm interrupting myself. News break. Uh, it turns out there is kind of a web standard here. So perhaps I even read um, this web draft here. I do I do believe that, yeah, there is an internet draft of it. And that could be it. And it seems as though most of the places follow similar things. I mean, it, I feel like when you generate a GUID, it's relatively similar, but there are different algorithms. Um, but, you know, the one that yeah. Raymond talks about, at least is the internet, the internet draft, which is, what is this? How are these drafts even from? This is from Paul J. Leach from Microsoft and Rich Sauls from Certco. This is a very okay, long, so by the mostly way, Microsoft, <laughs> by the way, this is like, it's all a huge long doc. And then there's like, uh, assembly code at the bottom. Is that yeah. some C or C code? C plus C code? Oh, I'm not looking at it. Let me take a look. But oh. you know what's funny is um, Apple calls them UUIDs, not GUIDs. Yes. And I wonder, um, oh, this spec it says UUIDs. This spec says also known as. So hopefully they're equivalent. But I, you're really making me curious 
I really do know the Microsoft side better than the Apple side. But wow, this spec goes back to 1998. So this is definitely early internet days. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most places, if you look for GUID, they'll say GUID or UUID. Um, If you go uh, to the Wikipedia, it says UUID, the term GUID, Global Unique Identifier, is also used typically in software created by Microsoft, specifically. Oh, it's a Microsoft thing. Okay, got it. Yeah. As far as we know. Yeah. So uh, this is C code, James, not assembly. So we could easily port all this to C sharp, but we have no need to because we have the GUID class for all that kind of stuff. Um, But you said it's made up of four parts. What are the four parts? Part number one. 60 bits, not bytes, because it is 16 bytes total. Okay, let's remember that. We got 16 bytes. One six bytes, yeah. 128 bits, yeah. 128 bits, 16 bytes. And the reason Raymond wrote this article is because a customer said that they needed to generate an eight-byte unique value. So what they were going to do is take the GUID. Mm -hmm. By the way, you say GUID, I say GUID. Potatoes, oh. potatoes, fascinating, <laughs> fascinating yeah. in general. It's my New like York. <laughs> nougat, Nuget, Boston, get a coffee. Um, so they were saying that they were going to throw away the second half. And he was like, oh, no, that's a terrible idea. Because the first 60 bits, B I T S, which is half of it, is a timestamp. Yeah. And this is clever. This is clever. Um, I think the issue here, this is incredibly rare, but we all use pseudo-random number generators. So there is a theoretical possibility that at a moment in time, two of these could start with the same seed and generate the same number. Or worse, maybe there's an open source library out there that seeds its random number generator with a constant. Other people use that library. All of a sudden, everyone's running in lockstep with each other with a random number generator. So this is smart. It's not 100% a random number. It's got this huge timestamp in it, which you never really realize because I think they mess around with it a little bit because you don't see GUIDs just incrementing. You know, I don't generate one and then it's the number one. I generate again, it's the number two. We don't see that. So it seems odd that it actually has that timestamp element to it. Yeah, it's pretty intense. Yeah, I mean, they definitely are messing and mixing stuff up stuff off right so that's the the first yeah because so, so, yeah they're they're bits right it's not just like you know date time two string right it's not what they're it's not what they're doing <laughs> by the way so um there's that the next 48 bits are interesting these are com- uh computer identifiers now now that's really fascinating because how how raymond breaks this down he, and he may just be quoting the internet draft but the, he says the next four bits are always zero 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 one which identify that this GUID was generated by algorithm one. So, so that's kind of cool because there's a bunch of different algorithms. So you might have zero, 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 two or whatever. He said the version field is necessary to ensure that two GUID generation algorithms do not accidentally generate the same GUID. That is actually really cool. Just in general, they can like guarantee as long as the GUID algorithm is doing the right thing that, Hey, even if, your algorithm produces the same stuff, it'll be different because it's 0002, 00, because zero, zero, there, there could be thousands of, of algorithms. And it says that the algorithms are designed so that a particular algorithm doesn't generate the same GUID twice, 
but without a version field, there would be no way to ensure that some other algorithm would generate the same quid by some systematic collision. Crazy. Yeah, it seems weird to throw a constant in to say we're going to make things more random by throwing a constant in. <laughs> yeah. But I like the idea here that it's if everyone follows this algorithm, then this is a signal that we're, we're all going to be safe because we're all following this one algorithm. Of course, you can ruin all of this. I've seen hardware vendors do this, and it drives me insane. Um, they don't have your cool add-in, James, so they'll generate a GUID and then copy and paste it and then just increment like a number inside of it. And it's a miracle we're safe from any of that kind of stuff. All of these are very small probabilities, obviously, but aren't there like 8 trillion iPhones out there at this point? <laughs> so like it's collisions true. are going to start happening like at some point in time, it might take 200 years, but it might happen. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, and I, and I say like in here, like, so, so there are these, these fixed algorithm bits. And then those 48 bits that I said are computer identifiers. Those are usually the, the network card. And um, if, if the computer doesn't have a network card, then it, it uses a random number generator. Um, says it uses it sets the top bit and then uses a random generator to generate the 47 it says no um, no valid network card will have a top bit set in his address so the possibility that the GUID generated from the computer with a network card will accidentally collide with the GUID generated from with one is is, is you know rare um, and there's some other bits in there like one is like there's 14 bits that are emergency unique uniqueifier bits and those are like the algorithm fine tuning shenanigans right because you're thinking there's a bunch of fixed things right like one is yeah. a network card one is the timestamp, and then there's like these fine-tuning magical bits and pieces inside of it that like make it happen and like there's always randomly like uh two fixed bits that are always zero one just like no man it's just always zero one. <laughs> you know you can't not do it so there are a bunch of pieces in there but it's very fascinating and you're right like they he says in here that there was one blog where was it at there was one blog that i was looking at that was like how many it could be, but isn't it like, yeah, what does he say? 200, yeah, 200 and some odd years or whatever is how long it would oh, take to find a duplicate GUID. To actually get a collision? Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, I found that part. He's saying at 100 nanoseconds per tick. So if you can generate them at 100 nanosecond rate, then it would take 200 years, which that sounds hard, but you know, multiply by a million devices and it, you know, it breaks down a few orders of magnitude there. Uh, but it's, it's all still really clever. I'm curious about the network card part. I wonder how many uh, GUID algorithms out there just use random numbers for the computer identifier part. Uh, because I know when you're doing things like with dockers hosted on multiple things it, and you know, they're just using the ethernet address or something like that. But it's a random number coming from somewhere. I'm just curious, like, you know, if I generated a UUID in the browser, I hope it's not going to use my Ethernet address because that would be a way to spy on my browser. So hopefully within the browser, they just use a random number there. Yeah, that that is, yeah, fascinating. Like, I'm assuming that the browser does not have access to that stuff in general. But like, if you were using the Windows... Uh, what is there? There's GuidGen, which I think is a Windows tool for generating GUIDs. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know or if that's still a tool. Probably just the standard. Yeah, th there's there's old level operating system Win32 APIs for it, and then there's definitely 
Dotnet, which I'm sure has been reviewed a billion times over. That um, those those last 14 bits, I guess those are just kind of like some random numbers, <laughs> you know, just throw in some random numbers. But it, it is curious how he keeps phrasing it as, um, I don't know, fine tuning, as he kept said saying. I don't think I have the uh, cryptography degree it would take to fully understand why. Um, why they only left 14 bits for that. Like, you know, if I was inventing this format, I totally get the logic of the timestamp, even the Ethernet card, do a little hash on those or something like that. But only leaving 14 bits of actual full-on randomness, like from from a pseudo-random number generator, I guess what I'm loving about this spec is they obviously don't trust pseudo-random generators. Like, they just don't, period. (laughs) Yeah, you can't. I, I don't know if you you can necessarily. You know, you know when you go to random.org, we're talking about random.org earlier, and sometimes you have a stuff in a list or you're like give me a random number and in your mind you just feel as though number 28 keeps getting picked over and over again. That's why or, No, I always think they gave it to someone else. I'm like, did you oh. give someone else this random number? <laughs> like who else has this ra- Is this my random I want to guarantee that this is my random number. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and the, you know, the, the fascinating thing about a GUID is if I generate a GUID right now, I'm going to do it right now. Okay, here we go, people. Live on the podcast. I'm so excited for this. Can it Boom. happen? I just did it. There's a GUID. Demo just, fail? No, it's right there. It's a GUID. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't look too random to me. I don't know. Uh, yeah, maybe that's why people like a GUID because it looks random, right? It looks <laughs> like it is not necessary. But someone's like, don't don't throw away all those GUIDs. And then I would argue, Frank, that if I don't press that button now, that GUID will never be used. It's a it's a GUID in which no one can ever use it, ever. Have you been uh, converting these to binary so you can check whether they're this is the version one of the algorithm? It could be, these could be version two GUIDs. Like, we don't want to be mixing our GUIDs. It's very true. It's very true. <laughs> I, well, you know, I have no idea. Because, you know, when I look at a GUID, I don't, I'm, you know, I read Raymond's, you know, information on it. I don't necessarily see the things, right? So maybe you can explain to me because he's talking about the time codes and these, and these bits, but how do they turn into these magical letters and numbers and hyphens, Frank? Do you understand? I don't don't understand how that works. Well, the hyphens are just grouping by bytes and by words and D words. And that's just for clarity. (laughs) So you can read these things uh, more clearly. Uh, what the actual computation is, James, I don't know because I'm just scrolling through the uh, calculation here, the, the sample source code they give for it, and trying to read it as fast as I can to answer your questions. But it all looks really basic. Honestly, I don't see any uh, too many magical tricks here. It looks like they get a timestamp. They encode it to bits. They try to get an uh, identifier for the machine. They encode that into bits. And print the stupid thing out as a hexadecimal uh, thing. Throw in some random dashes, and there you go. Oh, they have their own random number generator built into it. Pretty nice. That's cool. Pretty nice. I was actually um, just implementing a random number generator too. You know what I needed was um, predictable random numbers. In that, <laughs> does make any sense, Frank? <laughs> I know it does. It does because they're pseudo random numbers. Oh, okay. Right? They're not random numbers. But what I needed to do was generate input for a neural network. And in this case, the input was just going to be random. But I wanted to be able to recreate it. So the trick you do for that is you seed it every time. 
you pick kind of a random number yourself, call that the seed, and that can generate the other random numbers. So a real nice, simple system. The problem is that only works if you have a stable pseudo-random number generator. And oddly enough, the random number generator in .NET is not guaranteed to be stable. Mm. Uh, they have all the rights in the world. I don't think they ever do. I don't think it's ever changed, but they have all the rights in the world from version to version to change the exact algorithm that is used to, to generate random numbers. So I found myself in an odd position where I was actually putting a pseudo random number generator into my own code and not using the one provided in .NET just oh. because I wanted to guarantee that no matter which version of .NET I was running on, that I would get the same sequence of random numbers. Fascinating. Yeah. I always thought the random was based on time stamps, I guess, right? They initialize it. Um, so it automatically seeds itself. So if you run one program and call random, run the program twice, you're going to get two different numbers because the library is smart enough to randomly seed itself. Um, but then you can get into an argument of how random is the seed. <laughs> you know, it's endless, endless rabbit hole of randomness. Oh, and that's why you, and then with C-sharp, the random, I'm pretty sure you're, su you're supposed to new it up like outside. You shouldn't create new ones in like a tight loop because then they would all be seeded right. with very similar data or whatever, right? And then it would kind of mess up. Technically, I think, right? technically, um, the the library should be bulletproof against that. Oh. It's just not a good idea. I think the quality of the randomness would decrease in that case. But the library is actually safe. It has um, an auto incrementing thread safe automatic seed number. You know, implementation detail, but it's there. So it's not just the timestamp. It's forcing an increment every time it gets used. So it's guaranteed to be unique. Um, but these things are designed to be reused. So 100% you're right in how you should use it. Create it once or whatever, once per thread, you know, however your code works and call it as much as you can before you recreate it. Got it. Got it. Emma, yeah, that always, it's kind of like HTTP client. Right. Like, yeah. Do, How many you, should I have? <laughs> um, I'm going to ask, who can I ask? Rich, maybe emo. Can I get I random factory? <laughs> like <Yeah>. I HTTP <laughs> client factory. And like, it just so they, guarantees me a ra the correct random. So there kind of is, there is the system.security.cryptography namespace. Mm -hmm. And that has higher quality random number generators in it. Um, I don't remember which ones are like .NET standard and which ones are .NET and which ones are, you know, um, what's the other one called? .NET Core. <laughs> um, I don't remember exactly the cross-platformness of them all, but I know for a fact that there is something just called like system security cryptography random generator, something like that. And that'll give you a nice, very high quality random number generator. It was actually, there was a fun thing going around where uh, people were making fun of the built-in random functions in programming languages. And you can see it actually very easily if you use it to generate an image. Uh, humans are very good at visual recognition. So if there is any pattern at all to your randomness, we can see it in an image. And so you just pr print out a bunch of random images and you can see the quality of... Uh, quality of the implementation i like that that's funny yeah that makes sense uh honestly because humans are awesome we we see it <laughs> we can see it yeah oh man that's funny I, I think i think i don't think i can talk anymore about quiz i think we've 
exhausted guids. I think the last guid is exhausted. That's impossible. We still haven't talked about whether I should uh, encode them as text or binary in SQLite. So we'll save that for another episode, I guess. Oh, will that make it different? Nope. It turns out performance-wise, there's really no difference. In SQLite, I should say, your database, you know, I, you know, built into MS SQL, there is a GUID data type, but there is not a GUID data type in SQLite. So you have the option text or binary. Technically, binary takes up less space, um, but in practical considerations, um, there's not really much difference between a text encoding and a binary encoding of it. I ran into the same issues with my settings plugin, by the way, because I was like, oh, you know what? I should add GUID, duh, because who doesn't <laughs> want to save and store GUID? So I would take in the GUID class. And, I, and and none of the platforms under the hood, right? They don't they don't understand storing GUIDs. They're like whatever. Mm-hmm. They're they're simple data types. And even though GUID is complex data type, but the representation of the GUID is a simple data type. It's a string or binary. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I went with a string because uh, at least the GUID it has like a try parse in it, right? So, but I imagine on like GUID C dot I, C sharp GUID. Is there a way? Is there a constructor? Oh, yeah. Um, well, there's GUID.parse, and there might be a constructor. And the good news is the parser is very forgiving. But I still try to standardize, especially using them as primary keys to, like, lowercase, no dashes or maybe dashes. But, you know, you really have to decide because ideally you can set your collation mode and everything for queries. But sometimes I would Sometimes I'm just worried, <laughs> and so I try to standardize uppercase, lowercase, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you can parse via a read-only span of char, care, mm. char, char, care, char. I say, I say car. <laughs> I'm terrible. <laughs> it's, a, it's a character, right? So it is a car, character. Yeah. Char. <laughs> you can try parse a string, and you can try parse exact. You can try write bytes, which takes in a span of byte. Yeah. How do I, where's the constructors at? I'm just looking at documentation. Ooh, yes. You can construct a grid by a byte away. Oh my gosh. A byte array. You can pass that in. This is my favorite. This is my favorite constructor. Oh no, there's multiple favorite constructors. Oh my gosh. This <laughs> one, you can, a grid with an, the, here, here are the parameters. You're so int, excited. I can't get to it. Come on. What do you got? <laughs> it's int 32. So That's it's a weird one. It's, oh my God, it's int. Is that a seed? So int is a, which is the first four bytes. And then it's, and then it's a, and then it's a short, short bite, 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 bite. The most useless constructor ever. Great. Thanks everyone. (laughs) Um, That's my favorite representation as five parameters. (laughs) Yeah. And then they also have, by the way, another one that are unsigned in 32s and unsigned in. Of course. U int, U short, U short, bite, 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 bite. But my other Cute. favorite one to en- enhance that one is actually you can take an int, short, short, byte array. In case you just want to, instead of passing eight bytes, you can put them in a byte array if you desire. <laughs> the, this this is one of those meetings where like, but what if this hypothetical person was insane and wanted to construct a GUID this way? <laughs> like there are two formats. There's text and there's binary. What what's up with these? What's up with breaking it down into integers? That's so weird. <laughs> great. It's great. Yeah, you can, you can. It's it's fascinating too that there is a I understand a tri parse because you don't know. 
but there's also a parse, but you can also initialize a GUID by passing it the string. And that string, maybe try parse tries more things. I'm not positive. I, I think uh, the problem is it's um, exceptions versus no exceptions. Like I use the try parse when failures happen. I'm expecting failures to happen. You use the the exceptions when that's truly exceptional. You know, there was also the parse exact because I was going to say I've always found the parsing functions to be very flexible. They'll just kind of eat up what they need to eat up. But the parse exact is where you're being anal retentive and you want to make sure it's a very specific format. Makes sense if you are specifically storing it in one way, you could direct. You want to guarantee that you're not going to corrupt the database with some other format or something. Why have other? Why have hyphens in there if you don't need them? Those hyphens are taking up space. You know, you really don't. So, like, okay, one last topic <laughs> for stupid goods. Um, I hate it when it's in URLs. You know, URLs with yeah. goods, I think, are just so microsoft asp.net honestly it's like the only tech that really did that what you see more common these days are um shorter uuids so people use 64-bit ones which are obviously very pathetic and prone to collision but at least it makes for cuter shorter urls and the other trick you could kind of do for that is if you're ever doing lookup by GUID, instead of doing exact search do a starts with search so that you can do that same trick we do with uh, SHA hashes in Git, where if you want to paste something, you don't need the sh- full SHA hash hexadecimal. You can just do the first four or five, whatever it takes to make it unique. And I always recommend that if someone's trying to make nice URLs for their website that absolutely requires a GUID to uh, maybe be a little flexible with what you input. Yeah, think about what the, you know, Think about what the end user is seeing. It's a, it's a good point. Um, there are some uh, some apps that I use that generate URLs and you know things like you know invite links, and they're just crazy long, and they're putting just not even just quiz, but just like you know encoded yeah. information. You're like, oh, so <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't. You know, there's a reason that um, like Amazon you know, links. Like, yeah. what are what do those parameters mean? There should be a website out there like decode my Amazon link. Explain it to me. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, you know, even our ZenCaster link, it's it's very much like ZenCaster slash username slash show name, and it's like, and that's what it is. It's yeah. you know very clear now. But I will say, if you put a GUID, it's like the Zoom issue, right? Zoom, you can just randomly guess at six characters nonstop. It's very yeah. hard to randomly guess at GUIDs nonstop. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The, they have a very strong security argument on their side, especially I I definitely did the I didn't do 64 bit. You know what I was doing was eight alphanumeric. So that would be um, 36 raised to the eighth power hmm. logarithm two to tell you how many bits. But I just preferred it over that encoding over the straight hexadecimal encoding use the entire alphabet that kind of stuff so there's ways to squeeze uh guids down into slightly friendlier formats too so you get all the power of many many bits but maybe a friendlier url yeah even raymond in his blog post talks about a uh a a better way of of doing shorter guids doing an eight 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 byte grid instead of a 16 byte uh, guid so Definitely take a look at that. It's kind of cool. He, he's like, here's how you would actually do it. So like, don't, don't take the GUID, but here's how you could take the algorithm and, and mesh it around. So. Oh yeah. That's clever. That's great. Yeah. 
especially if you're doing a text primary key, doesn't matter. Make up your own IDs. <laughs> yeah, do that. All right, Gwids, we did them. That's a weird topic, James, but I guess that's like a one for the bucket list. Bucket list. <laughs> we did Gwids. We talked about Gwids on the show. We did the Gwids. That's correct. And in fact, let us know how you pronounce Gwids. Is it Gwids or Gwids? I'm pretty sure Frank's wrong. So um, let us know in the sh- in the show notes. You can write comments. We'll read those next week on the pod, uh, or give us a little tweet at mergeconflict.fm or at James Montemagno at Proclarum. You can just go to mergeconflict.fm. There's all of the links there. You can find all the things for all of us all the time, no matter where we're at. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's Emerge Conflict. We've successfully created Gas Gwids as a service. That's G A A S. That's right. That's the name of this episode. You'll see. I've, I've cleverly oh, named it in Fireside. It's fantastic. Oh, Frank, Frank, Frank. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.